Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Let's read it together. It says, Now the word of the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, it's already anointed, but I pray that today in the name of Jesus that you would speak to our hearts and give us an ear to hear about everything that you have for us today. And we give you the praise and honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Praise the Lord. Well, good morning, church family. Are you glad to be in God's house one more time? Amen. Well, before, yeah, it's always fitting to give the Lord praise. Listen, uh, before we get too much further, didn't Pastor Seth do a bang-up job on that message last week? Amen. That was good. Hallelujah. It was good. I went home and I watched it and I almost gave and gave and received an offering, fell out and covered myself. It was a good, good message. And so I'm excited about that. I go back and listen to it twice. It's good because we got to have courage to share the gospel. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, this morning, as I mentioned, we're starting a, a brand new series today. And I believe they have that graphic on the screen. The, the title of my series today is entitled The Apple of His Eye. And if you can see into that graphic, you can see that, that Israeli flag that is right there so beautifully painted. And I want to lay a background today or a backdrop and explain to you my heart in what I'm about to share. Um, but some of you may be asking today, Pastor, what about that sermon title? What do you mean, the apple of his eye? After all, I'm God's favorite, right? You hear that all the time. Well, I believe God does love all of us. I want you to read with me really quickly in the book of Zechariah, the prophet, uh, chapter number 2, verses 6 through 9. It's on the screen today. This will lay a foundation for what we're about to say. It says, uh, up, up. Flee from the land of the north, says the Lord, for I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven, says the Lord. Up Zion, escape you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For surely I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become spoil for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. This morning, the prophet Zechariah describes Israel as being the apple of God's eye. When you look at the nation of Israel, what you understand is that this small island uh, not, not an island in the sense of what we think, but an island to itself, surrounded by its enemies, the size of the state of Rhode Island. God has predestined and called to bless this nation, not because of her, of her size or anything like that, but to show the Lord's strength through his people. Now, I'll tell you this morning that uh, in light of what's going on geopolitically across the world, I, I have gotten more emails, messages, inboxes uh, on the fact that I'm getting ready to teach this for the next couple weeks, and it just really fuels the fire even more to share why I need to share this, because uh, there are people that have said, well, 
you're being insensitive to the Palestinians in Gaza who are going through their, their trouble. Or uh, there's a humanitarian aid there. And somehow you're a uh, humanitarian aid crisis, rather. And somehow you're trying to capitalize on that. Uh, first of all, uh, if you've been here for any amount of time, especially if you come on Wednesday nights, we have expressed our prayer. First of all, I want you to know that we love all people. Amen. Uh, I actually have known Palestinian friends. When I pastored in Louisiana, uh, I had made friends with a Muslim Palestinian man that owned a restaurant. I shared Jesus with him every time I went in to eat lunch. And so uh, I tell you that these messages are not meant to stir up or to incite anything about any race of people, but rather to show us the, the covenant that God made with the land of Israel and with the nation of Israel. Uh, as a church, what we should do, we should pray for those casualties and those families that are in both Israel and in Palestine, but we should support the nation of Israel's right biblically to occupy the land that God has called them to occupy. And so uh, this morning, make no mistake about it, we are pro-Israel. That, that is not a political statement. That is a biblical statement. And we stand on the side of the Bible rather than on the left or the right. And so this morning, we're going to start talking about the birth of this nation. But we need to ask ourselves the question, why? Why does it even matter? Pastor, after all, we're Gentiles and, you know, we're not Jewish and we don't celebrate all that stuff and that stuff's thousands of miles away from us. Why does it even matter? Well, it matters for several reasons. One of those reasons this morning is this, is because I believe it is impossible to fully understand God's salvation covenant with the world without understanding his purpose for Israel. Literally, Israel runs from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, literally, from the, from the very onset on forward, God's desire was to have a people unto himself. And God promised and formed the nation of Israel, we're going to learn today. And we know that God has a plan for Israel, even through the ends of the age. But really, though, when we begin to look about this from other aspects, we've got to know that the nation of Israel is under attack. You'd have to be living under a rock this morning not to realize that all of the nations of the world are quickly turning against this little place in the Middle East that we call the Holy Land. It's the, the land of Israel. It's the land that was uh, prophesied to be given to Abraham through his seed. And as we begin to look at this, I hope that you can see the narrative that's being played out in the world. Because quickly, false narratives around the world on national and world news networks are painting the nation of Israel as somehow unjust or terroristic or anything. And we're totally turning our eyes to the fact that Hamas parachuted into Israel when Israel was at a place of, of peace and safety, parachuted into one of their uh, outdoor concert festivals they were having, and literally those soldiers, as they hit the ground, begin to rape and murder and kill even innocent children. 
Now, when Israel went back in to fight, they did the opposite of Hamas. They sent warnings to all of the citizens to get out of the way and everything and uh, had no intention of just blowing up civilians or anything of that nature. But I want you to see how the news media is painting Israel to be the enemy. I want you to know that is part of the plan because the Bible says that at that great battle of Armageddon, all these nations of the world are going to begin to turn her nose against Israel and rise to attack her. But I want you to know something this morning. The Bible says when that begins to happen, the Lord himself is coming on a white horse. And the Bible said that he's going to come with ten thousands of his saints to wrought justice against his adversaries. The Lord has promised to stand with Israel. Absolutely, unequivocally and unapologetically, the Lord has promised to stand with the nation of Israel. I believe you and I must know the significance that Israel plays both in redemption and in the last days. And so this morning, we're going to look at this because I don't know about you, I owe my life to a Jewish man. In case you don't know him this morning, his name is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Whoo! I'm so glad about Jesus. Now, as we begin to look at Genesis chapter 12, it lays a background for this entire series that this prophetic word that came to Abram that said he would establish a nation through him, give them a land, and that his seed, notice this, would remain on the earth forever. It was an everlasting covenant. And so we're going to begin to look through the scripture, walk through here together, and we're going to begin to see what God says about these people named Israel. So if you're taking notes or you have my notes, here's the first thing, and you can write it down. God promised Abram, right? God promised Abram a nation. Somebody say a nation. This is so important. Go back to Genesis chapter 12 with me, and let's look at verse 1 through 3. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this is interesting because the Bible begins this story of Israel with a man by the name of Abram. You know him as Abraham, right? We sing the song, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. Okay, so we understand the the lineage of the covenant comes through the loins of Abraham. God uh, calls Abram at this time a man who has no children. Historically and rabbinically, we understand that uh, Abram was the son of an idol maker. He lived in a place that was full of wickedness, full of idolatry. Uh, This is what history tells us. Um, But the Bible says God speaks to Abram, and it says, I want you to get out of your country, Abram. So God tells him, I want to take you away from the place that you are right now. I want to remove you, Abram, from the environment which you're seated, and I want you to get away from not only your country, but I need you to get away from your family. Hello. And guess what? Abram decided little nephew Lot needed to go. He took Lot, and because he took Lot, he had to deal with a lot. 
right? Amen. It didn't deter God. They might have zigzagged on the road a few times, but it didn't deter God from finishing out his promise. Uh, Abram, in fact, zigzagged on the road a whole lot, we're going to find out. But uh, what, we, what we know is that he told him to get out from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I want you to know that God's intention was to take Abram and show him a land that God was going to entrust to his people. And then notice what he says. I will make you a great nation. He says, I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Notice he said, I will bless you. I need you to stop right here and just tell somebody that if God blesses you, can't nobody curse you. Hallelujah. When God blesses you, nobody can curse you. He said, I will bless you, and I will make your name great. I want you to think about something. This little bitty land, the size of Rhode Island, is all you hear about in the news today. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Do you know the land of Israel has been a blessing to the world? Do you know how many Israeli scientists have come out and won Nobel Peace Prizes and inventions that have truly blessed the world economically, financially? Do you know how many Jewish people run the stock market in New York? Might ought to do some homework. He said, and you shall be a blessing. Notice this. And I will bless those who bless you. Why is it important, Pastor, to stand with the nation of Israel as a person and as a nation? You just read it. I will bless those who bless you. And notice this. He says, and I will curse him who curses you. You read that too fast. You read that way too fast. Notice he says, I will bless those. How many of you know that's plural? I will bless those corporately who bless you. And then notice he gets down to the singularity here, and I will curse him. He goes from those to him. God deals very seriously with those who, who flick their nose at the nation of Israel. And notice he says, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promised Abram a nation. Now the problem is, is that Abram didn't have a son and Sarah was not able to bear. She was old. And when uh, Abram goes, ends up going to her and tells her what the Lord has said, she laughs and those things. And uh, Abram is like a lot of us. He ends up getting rather impatient with waiting on the promise of God. You know, it's difficult sometimes when you're waiting on the promise of God um, because we want God to do everything in our time. We want to snap our fingers, and we want it right now, right? We get frustrated when the fiber Internet isn't fast enough. We forget that just 10, 10, 15 years ago, we were dialing up to some dial-in network and our phone was making weird noises, you know, and they had to call to China and call back before you got a response. Amen. We forget how quickly we have advanced. We want things on our timetable, but when you look at the scripture, oftentimes the time from when God spoke something to the fulfillment of that thing, it took some time. It took some time. 
It was some time before between the fact when, when God promised David something till he actually was ruling in a palace. There's a time distance between the promise and the fulfillment of that promise. But Abram was impatient. Sarah was like, you know, I'm, I'm just depressed. I can't bear a son. And so she does the unthinkable. She goes, here, go into Hagar, my, my, uh, my handmaiden, and sleep with her. Now, how many of you know that's weird? Typical response, if you watch the, 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 the chosen recollection of, of this uh, particular story, is actually pretty interesting. But uh, so, you know, uh, his servant gets pregnant. She gets all up, upset, and there's some things that co- co-inspire. But she gives birth to a son, but that son is not the child of promise. God had promised a son, and through that son would the lineage be birthed, Right? And so here comes Hagar, or I'm sorry, Ishmael. He was the illegitimate child. And, and Ishmael, the prophecy to Ishmael was that he would be like a wild donkey, that he would fight with his brothers for all generations. And so he was a fighter. He was a wild man. He caused trouble. And, and Ishmael uh, ended up being unable to uh, cohabitate in the house. And so after uh, Isaac was born, and so he was sent away. But God eventually, not to get too far ahead, but God eventually fulfilled the promise with, uh, Ab- with Abram and Sarah. And he gave, she gave birth to Isaac. He was the child of promise. And You know, God had showed him a mountain, Mount Moriah, and was testing Abram's faith. And he told him to go to that that land that he would show him afar off, and he was told to sacrifice his son. Totally crazy. None of us would ever think that that's a good idea. But nonetheless, um, uh, Abraham was unwilling to hold back that which God has promised, and God stepped in and provided a ram in the thicket, and it was named that place Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord, our provider. God provided for them supernaturally upon that moment. Well, we understand that through the patriarchy, uh, Isaac ended up having children, and uh, out of his children, he had several, but one of them was named Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How many of you know he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, Isaac, uh, prior to this, had wrestled with God at a place called Bethel. He wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night, ended up having his hip, his thigh, out of of joint. He walked with a limp. And at that time, God changed Isaac's name to what? To Israel. He changed his name to Israel. So, uh, Isaac ends up having children, one of those being Jacob. And, you know, Jacob's brothers, we're going through this story here. Jacob's brothers end up doing what? Selling him into slavery because they didn't like his dream. They didn't like all the things that God had had wanted to do through him. But the point that I'm trying to make before we get too much further down this road was that God promised Abram a nation and that promised nation would come through the promised seed. It came through Isaac not through Ishmael. Next week, we're going to get into that a lot more deep. Next week, you better bring a pencil and a notebook and a highlighter and a tape recorder or something because we're really going to cover some ground next week. But God promised this nation and promised that it would come through this specific lineage. That's what I need you to get today, okay? Now, let's move a little further. Jacob ends up... uh, 
uh, I'm sorry, uh, you got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? Then uh, Jacob has children, then there's Joseph. Joseph gets sold into slavery, and uh, because he told his brothers of the dream that he had had about them bowing down in the time of leanness and all of that stuff, and so they dug a hole, and along came the Egyptians, and they bought him. God's favor was upon Joseph's life and took him literally from the pit to the palace to where he became second in command in Egypt. What we see is that uh, through this time, God used in his prophetic foreknowledge the ability to be able to sustain his people through difficult times. So if you're taking notes, know this. Number one, God promised Abram a nation. Number two, here it is. God sustained and established the nation of Israel. Look at Genesis chapter 15 today. Genesis 15, verse 13 through 16. Here's what it says. These are words to Abram. It says, Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers, notice this, in a land that is not theirs, referring to the land of Egypt, and will serve them. And they will afflict them for 400 years. And also with the nation whom they serve, I will judge. God says, I'm going to judge Egypt. Afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So uh, after Joseph and, and all of those things and his brothers come to Egypt and, and they, they're dwelling there for some time, Pharaoh begins to see that Israel is um, growing in number. We find this in the book of Exodus, growing in number, getting out of control. So what he uh, intends to do is to put them into bondage. He, he puts taskmasters over them, literally enslaving them. Now, the amazing thing is God's foreknowledge throughout all of this. I'm so glad God can see further down the road than we can. Amen. God put Joseph in Egypt, even though he had to go through hell to get there, to sustain his brothers, hello, to sustain his brothers in a time of famine. And God told Abram, listen, your people are going into bondage, but I'm going to bring them out. What amazing prophetic foreknowledge that God gave Abram about his future seed that would go through this land of bondage. So Israel was there for 400 years years. It was terrible, terrible, terrible. They were beaten. They were enslaved. They were mistreated. They were not allowed to worship uh, uh, to, to, to the extent that they should. They were put their, their thumb was pressed down uh, upon the Egyptian, upon the Hebrews so bad that they began to cry out. And at the end of this 400 years, there was a cry that went up to heaven. There was a man that was tending some sheep by the name of Moses. We learned about him a few weeks ago when we learned about Jochebed, Moses' mother. And Moses was tending sheep, and there was a cry that came out to the ears of the Lord, and God speaks to Moses through a burning bush to go to Egypt and to let my people go. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that God promised Abraham this land. He promised to establish this nation. But throughout history, God has also established and sustained his people through difficult times. Amen? Satan had a plan to destroy these Israelites. And so off 
into Egyptian slavery they went. But uh, then, uh, you know, you've got all of these things, but Moses comes up as God raises up a deliverer, and by the stroke of midnight, one night, the children of Israel came marching out of the land of Egypt with Pharaoh's uh, army behind them as they go looking for the land that God had established to them. I'm so glad God's a covenant-keeping God. Don't ever think just because you go through hard times, God's not with you. God was with Israel every step of the way. The Bible tells us that they went to that land. You know, um, we, we go through the leadership now of Moses. And then Moses died. God speaks to Joshua. God raises Joshua up. And, you know, we've got the, the ministry legacy of Joshua and Caleb. They get to this land of Canaan that God has promised them. They've come through the wilderness, right? They left Egypt. They come through the wilderness. They've went from difficulty to difficulty to difficulty, okay? How many of you see that? Difficulty, difficulty, difficulty. We've got uh, Pharaoh's Egyptians, uh, the Egyptian soldiers chasing behind them. God parts the Red Sea. The children of Israel murmur, complain. There's no graves in Egypt. We don't have any food. God sends manna. When they get tired of the manna, he sends quail. There's bitter water. There's water that's turned sweet. There's all types of provision that happens in this place, but it's still difficult. And finally, when they get to the land that they spy out that God had given them, it was inhabited by giants. So there were 12 spies. Two of them were sent in, or they were all sent in. Two of them came back with a positive report. Ten of them came back with a negative report. I just feel like I need to tell somebody this morning, the majority is not always right. If, the, if Israel would have voted on it that day, they would have lost the battle. But thank God there were two men that said, we're well able to take this. And they went in and they possessed the land that God had given them. Israel was, was doing what God had called them to do. Make no mistake about it. This war in Israel today is about the land that God has given them. Jerusalem, specifically the Temple Mount, is the most fought over piece of real estate in all of the earth. Who does the land belong to? That's the question we're going to explicitly answer from Scripture next week. But I want you to know something. God sustained and established his people. There are many times throughout Scripture that Israel would turn away from God, right? I wasn't going to go here today, but I'm going to go down this trail anyway. They, they would backslide. The Bible uses the terminology backslide. Israel would forget God. They would turn into idolatry, and they would learn the customs of the world, and they would lose the battle. And because they lost the battle, they would lose the ground sometime. They were in Babylonian captivity. They were in different, different eras of time. The Ark of the Covenant was captured. There's certain things that happened throughout Israel's history that, that they would, it seemed like they would take a couple steps forward and a couple steps back. But see, the thing, though, about Jeremiah the prophet, when he talks about Israel's waywardness and her backsliding, here's what the prophet said. He said, for thus says the Lord, I am married to the backslider. Yeah. 
Aren't you glad about that? God is, God is, God is, he never stopped wooing Israel. He never stopped calling Israel to himself. He always had a plan for Israel because God's redemptive plan focuses on the nation of Israel. You see it all throughout the scripture. Here's the problem, though. Here's the big problem. I told you, as I opened my message today, I told you that the nation of Israel is under attack. It's not just from the bombs coming from the Gaza Strip. It's not just from the attacks of Hezbollah. It's not just from uh, the other nations of the world like uh, Russia and China and Iran who are aligning themselves against her, which, by the way, is also extremely in times prophetic biblical. Uh, but, but not only is Israel under a physical attack, she's under a spiritual attack. How so, Pastor? How so? I'm glad you asked. I hope you have a moment so I can answer your question. Israel's under attack spiritually because all across the West, in Europe, in America, there are many of our stations of higher education, colleges, even some that are quote-unquote spirit-filled, that are staining a doctrine that is directly against the nation of Israel. That doctrine goes something like this. Israel rejected Christ. Christ poured out his spirit on the church, ordained 12 apostles, and now God has done away with the nation of Israel. She's no longer important. She doesn't have a part of God's end time plan. Thus, it is producing the mindset that we see today in the West that says, why should we even help the nation of Israel? I hope you're tracking with me this morning. That damnable heresy is known nothing more than replacement theology. And it just simply says that the church has replaced Israel, that now the church is this spiritual Israel, and that the promise uh, everything that was promised, here's the extremism, everything that was promised to Israel in the Old Testament now is a promise to the church. Folks, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. And people are buying that hook, line, and sinker. I'll tell you, this isn't a new phenomenon. It's been on the cusp for about 20 years. Uh, I will tell you that uh, roughly about 16 years ago, I took a group of students to a college campus days to one of our Assemblies of God schools, right? And uh, the school is no longer in existence. Uh, they had merged with another school. But I, I sat in a class, a Book of Acts class. Professor was from Seattle. He had moved there from Seattle. And he sat there. And he, which by the way, I don't know if you know John Hagee. John Hagee has a huge history in the Assemblies of God. He, he basically donated and built several buildings there that are, that are actually in his honor. But actually put his name up on a board and, and talked about this is what Hagee believes about Israel and dispensationalism and God's 
plan for Israel. And this professor taught, not as theory, but as fact. He said, and he drew a line through it. He said, that's wrong. He said, the church has replaced Israel. I walked out of class. I went and told an authority, and hopefully that dude got fired. But it's terrible. It's one thing to teach things in a classroom setting as these are different theological views. But he was saying, no, this is incorrect. This is right, right here. And folks, I want to tell you, that is wrong. It's not my opinion, but I'll show you whose opinion it is. We need to turn over to Romans, the, the uh, 11th chapter. This is New Testament theology. My third point this morning is this. The church has not replaced Israel. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verse 1. He says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I am also an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people for whom he foreknew. So let me answer the question. Has the church replaced Israel in God's prophetic scheme? The answer, my friend, is no. No. Now, let me show you something. This is interesting. Romans chapter 11, verse 25 through 26, same chapter. Look at this. And I would encourage you to read the whole thing. Here's what Paul writes. He says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Folks, let me tell you something. Paul, what he's stating right here is he's showing us in all of Romans chapter 11 that the church has not replaced Israel in God's plan, but rather Paul says very precisely that God's plan will be fulfilled. And he tells us when. When the time of the Gentiles has ceased. Now let me just be honest with you. When you read the gospel accounts, the scripture is very, very important to note to us that Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. Uh, that salvation first had come unto the Jews, and the Jews ultimately rejected him. And what we see then, you and I are a part, unless we're, Gentile, unless we're uh, Jewish, we're part of Gentile believers. We're a part of the, the bride of Christ who have been adopted into God's family. We've been adopted. We're, we're not, when we're saved, we don't become a Jew. And Paul says if you're a Jew and you get saved, don't try to become a Gentile. Uh, each man can remain in the state in which he was converted. And he says, it's okay to keep those customs as long as you realize Christ is the one who fulfilled those customs. The customs of Israel point towards the Messiah. Passover, tabernacles, trumpets, all of the feasts that are listed point to Jesus. Now, listen, this is interesting. As we're looking at this, 
He says, uh, blindness in part has happened to Israel until the time of the Gentiles has come to pass. Now, when did the time of Gentiles start? Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, you know, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all people. And there, the door of the salvation message was opened to whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Folks, I don't think you hear what I'm saying this morning. What I'm trying to tell you is this, is that it was through the Jews that the way of salvation entered and Jesus opened up the door and he says, all who are thirsty, let them come and drink. Out of their bellies will flow rivers of living water. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Folks, listen, that is God giving us an open door. Now, Prophetically, it's like this. Up until this point, all the attention was focused on the Jewish people. Then there came a point where God prophetically pushes a pause button. The birth of the church happens. Okay, from the day of, of Pentecost until now. We're in the age of the church the church age, the dispensation of grace. We're not Jews, we're Gentiles. We've accepted Christ, right? Those who have accepted Christ, they accepted the Messiah when he came the first time, when he was born of a virgin and gave his life on a cross and he was resurrected on the third day. We, we put our faith in that Messiah. But guess what, friend? Here's the thing, that this is the moment of the Gentiles, but just like Noah close the door God closed the door on the ark there's going to come a day where God's going to close the door on the age of the Gentiles you know what it's called the rapture of the church God reaches his hand down and he unpauses the button and when you read it in the book of Revelation past chapter 3 no more church really is mentioned, just the saints and Israel, da-da-da, all the way until the end. Why? Because God still has a plan. Israel, God used Israel and chose Israel to provoke the nations to jealousy. That's what the scripture says. He chose this little small people to pro provoke the people to jealousy to serve the one and true living God. But Israel rejected her Messiah, okay? God pushes the pause button, focuses on all of the world being saved, and now the church, notice what the rest of Romans 11 says, the church has not replaced Israel, but Israel's eyes are partly blinded, and now the church is provoking Israel to jealousy. And then there's coming a day where those who are of Israel will be saved. And listen, they don't have a separate way to be saved. They're not saved automatically because of their Jewish race. They're saved because they accept the Messiah. Now, I don't want to get too far. Since I already jumped off in it, let me jump a little further. 
when God unpushes the pause button and Israel becomes the focus again, that begins historically what's known in Scripture as the seven years of tribulation period. Three lesser, three greater. The first three and a half are lesser. The last three and a half are greater. Do you want to know what that last three and a half is called? The prophet Jeremiah saw it. He called it the time of Jacob's trouble. Who is Jacob? Israel. What do we have going on in the tribulation period? We've got two witnesses that are spreading the word everywhere. You've got 144,000 Jews who are not Jehovah's Witness ambassadors. Despite what anybody's told you, there are 12,000 from each of the tribes, 12 tribes of Israel, and they are proclaiming the message of the kingdom throughout all of the earth. A lot of these Jews will get saved through that tribulation period. You say, why does Israel matter? Israel matters because she's part of God's salvation plan. But the last thing I want you to see today, and I want this to stick with you, is that the church, and I'm done, I'm done. the church has not replaced Israel. We've not... We've not, we've not replaced Israel at all. Absolutely not. Paul writes, Romans eleven eleven. he says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. God has a plan. I want to close with these scriptures here. Romans 11, verse 19. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. And that's what happened. The church was grafted in to God's people. He says, well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. But do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches... He may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God, of those who fail severity, but towards you goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. Now, you know what Paul was warning uh, the church at Rome at through the Holy Spirit? He was warning them, don't, don't, don't you have an attitude about the nation of Israel? Because God still has a plan. And folks, I want you to know that we live in very prophetic days. Let me ask a question. How many of you were alive in 1948? Anybody? Come on. All right. A whole bunch of people in this section and back over here. Okay. If you were alive in 1948, you were alive to experience one of the greatest 
end time prophecies fulfilled. You know why? Because the Bible says not only did God promise the land, but it also prophesied how many times Israel would be scattered away. They'd be scattered away. And then he talks about how they're going to return from the north. They're going to return from the different areas where the Lord would draw them from. And listen, in 1948, at the end of the two-day war, Jews begin to come back to their homeland from the north, from Russia, after they had been scattered all those years. You say, why is that important? Because all of those prophecies have been or are being fulfilled. Why is that important, though? Because if we can concrete ourselves in the fact that all of these prophecies have been fulfilled concerning the nation of Israel, concerning Jesus and where he would be born and all of those things, then you can also concrete the fact that he's coming again. And here's what you need to know. The first time he came as a lamb. But the second time he's coming as a lion. The first time he came as savior. Second time he'll come as judge. And he will judge the nations with a rod of iron. And we will stand before him one day. So everybody stand please. Say, Pastor, what's the, what's the deal? What's the deal? What's our responsibility? Let me tell you this real quick, and then we're going to get into something else. What's our responsibility? Our responsibility as the people of God should be to pray for the nation of Israel. The Bible tells, listen, you need to be praying that Jews would get saved. You need to be praying that. You need to pray for peace in Jerusalem. The Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Okay, we need to support Israel's right to exist in the land that God has given her. Now, that doesn't mean Israel's always done everything right or will continue to do everything right. But we do need to support her right to exist in the land that God has given her. And we also ought to be thankful that God chose this little nation because that's how he decided to birth the Messiah into the world. Now, folks, listen. All of this began because God decided he wanted a people. Now, I'm going to say this very clearly. When we get to heaven in eternity, there's not going to be two peoples of God. There's one people of God. When the Bible says all of Israel will be saved, it's not talking about the church has replaced Israel. But listen, those who accept the Messiah, that's, they're going to be a part of that Israel. They're going to dwell in a new Jerusalem. I don't know about you this morning. I want to make sure my calling and election is sure. Folks, bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning.